You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Tuesday, the 8th of December, which means Christmas is only 17 days away. And if your kids are sad because they can't go see Santa at the mall this year, remember, you can recreate that experience at home. Just have them stand in line in the living room for two hours and then tell them Santa took a lunch break and they have to leave. It's the same thing. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Trump finally leaves the Oval Office. We look at the top tech of 2020 and Buster Rhymes is our guest on the show. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with Mount Everest. It's the reverse Grand Canyon. Everyone knows that it's the highest mountain in the world, but it turns out that like Seth Rogen, it's even higher than we thought. If you were planning to scale Mount Everest anytime soon, it just got a little bit taller. After more than a decade of dispute and controversy, China and Nepal have finally agreed on how tall the peak actually is. They agreed to add about a meter. The world's highest summit now climbs 29,032 feet. That means it is almost three feet taller now. Yeah, it turns out Mount Everest is almost three feet taller than we thought it was before and technically almost four feet taller when you factor in its new afro. And here's my question. Who is stretching the measuring tape all the way up to the top of the mountain? Because when I measure anything over 20 feet, it always lets go and then flies back at my head. I can't imagine this person's bravery. So it turns out Mount Everest isn't just taller. It turns out that it keeps growing taller partly because of all of the dead bodies from failed climbers that keep piling up, but also because the tectonic plates beneath it are pushing into each other, pushing the mountain up. So as mountains get older, they get bigger. But as people get older, they tend to shrink. I guess that's just one more way that mountains and people are different. Mountains are bigger than People, huh? And can I just say, measuring mount, I didn't even know that that was a job. Measuring mountains sounds like the worst possible job in the world. You have to climb up to the snow and then you, like I'm glad my mom didn't know that measuring mountains was a job when I was a kid because she would have definitely used that to punish me. Trevor, you didn't clean your room when I told you to clean it. You know what your punishment is? You're going to measure, no mommy, the, don't say it, mountain, please. Again. Ah! Speaking of things that scientists still can't figure out, Donald J. Trump. He's only president of the United States for another six weeks, but that's still plenty of time for him to embarrass everyone in super random ways. President Trump abruptly walks out of a Medal of Freedom ceremony, leaving the recipient shrugging and at a loss of what to do. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. One more question about the inauguration. Thank you very much. Anything on Bill Barr, sir? Congratulations, sir. He's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, guys, Trump has checked out from the presidency. Right now, he's got that energy of a TJ Maxx employee on his last day. 
You know when you're walking in like, excuse me, do you have this in a large? Nope, try Coles. Uh, do you want to check in the back? I already did. I mean, this guy walked out of a Medal of Freedom ceremony in his own house. He just left the dude in the Oval Office. Isn't that guy the president now? That's how this works, right? And look, maybe if it was a different president, you'd be like, wow, that must have been some national emergency. But you know Trump doesn't have shit to do. He's like, oh boy, Hannity starts in 20 minutes. Gotta get ready for Hannity. Hannity, Hannity, Hannity's on. It's the Hannity show. I can't wait. You know, for a dude who refuses to leave office, Donald Trump is awfully eager to leave his office. And who knows? Maybe that's how Trump will concede. You know, Trump will get distracted and forget what he's doing and then just wanders off and then boom, Biden forgets what he's doing and wanders in. Peaceful transition of power. But once again, the big story is the coronavirus pandemic. You know, it's the reason you give for why you haven't had sex in nine months. So let's check out the latest news about the pandemic in another episode of Keeping Up with Corona. Let's begin with the United Kingdom, America's estranged dad. Today, the UK began giving its people the vaccine. Yeah, officially, starting with a 90-year-old woman, which is great for her. Although on the other hand, she's the only person in the whole country who's now safe to go out. So she's just gonna be out hitting the club like, Where are all my party girls at? Seriously, where is everybody? Meanwhile, in the United States, it might take a little longer for everyone to get vaccinated because somebody, and I'm not saying which president, well, he done f***ed up. With cases of COVID surging across the country, we're learning millions of Americans may now have to wait months longer to receive a vaccine because the U.S. opted to get fewer doses from Pfizer than it could have. The U.S. bought enough to vaccinate 50 million Americans. By contrast, the European Union bought enough for 100 million people with an option to buy more. Now, ABC News confirms the New York Times report that over the summer, Pfizer offered to sell the U.S. government additional doses, but the Trump administration turned them down. Now, Pfizer says it might not be able to get the U.S. more doses until June of 2021. Woo! That's the art of the deal right there, baby. Pfizer thought that they could pull a fast one on Trump by offering to sell him life-saving vaccines, but my man Trump was like, no deal. So now, Europe is stuck with all those vaccines, and that means more corona for everyone here in America, baby. Wait. Seriously, though, this may seem like it was a dumb decision by Trump. But if you take a moment to think about it, you'll realize that it was a really fucking dumb decision by Trump. And let's be very clear about something. Even with the vaccine, social distancing and wearing masks is still extremely important. And that's why people need to keep following public health guidelines. And I know, I know a lot of Americans are like, all these rules are government oppression. They're taking away our freedom. It is my right to go to Walmart without a mask and to legally marry my gun. My gun's name is Mark. That's right, my gun and I are gay. Did I challenge your stereotypes? But I gotta tell you this. If Americans think that the rules in this country are too strict, Americans need to see how social distancing is being enforced in some other countries around the globe. For example, if you're upset because, oh, people give you dirty looks when you go outside without a mask, imagine if instead of that, the police pulled up in their cars and then roasted you over the PA system because That's what's going on in South Africa, where videos like this one are going viral. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's right. In South Africa, the police and the military are being tasked with enforcing the lockdown, which is basically a recipe for disaster. Oh, and in case you're wondering, yes, the South African version of law and order is a very different show. In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equal important groups. The police, who roast your ass hard, and the district attorneys who stand behind them going, damn, son, he got you good. These are their stories. Here's an interesting fact. That cop is also South Africa's top hostage negotiator. Hey, hey, why are you kidnapping that guy? Let him go. What would your mother say about you, eh? Look at you with that funny haircut. Look like you f***ed a lawnmower, eh? Then you lost, eh? Let's go home. But as harsh as South Africa's mask justice might seem, what they do in Rwanda can be even worse. Rwandans breaking curfew or not wearing masks are being sent to stadiums for hours-long overnight lectures about the dangers of the virus. I was in the shop I work in. My mask was on my chin. Then the police found me in my shop and said, you're not wearing your mask right. Then I got in the car and they told me they were taking me to a place to teach me to wear a mask. Man, that is intense. Rwandans are being forced to attend night school if they broke some COVID rules. Imagine that, if you don't like watching Dr. Fauci come on TV and ask you to wear a mask for 30 seconds, if you lived in Rwanda, you'd be forced to listen to Dr. Fauci all night in a cold stadium. The only way that could be more boring is if there was also a baseball game going on at the same time. Although, one benefit of teaching about COVID rules in a sports stadium is that you can use the KISS cam to test how much everyone has learned. Joseph, you and Keza are on the KISS cam. Why don't you kiss? No, you shouldn't have kissed, it was a trap. You must come back tomorrow night, huh? By the way, I love how that guy pulled down his mask to show how he broke the rules by pulling down his mask. It's a good thing he wasn't arrested for public indecency. I was arrested for exposing myself like this. And everyone was so upset, just like everyone is right now. And finally, to any American who's upset because they can't go to the gym to work out during COVID, imagine if instead of that, you were forced to work out in front of all your neighbors. Like many countries battling the coronavirus pandemic, India is in lockdown. The police here have resorted to physical punishments for those who breach it. At one point, police are seen ordering locals to do squats. Some were made to do press-ups at the side of the street. Pune police on April 21st asked the lockdown violators to do sit-ups as punishment. God damn, guys. That is humiliating and unnecessary. I mean, what happened to just shouting at people to wear a mask? Forced exercise is so extreme. And let me tell you something now. I would rather staple a mask onto my face than have to exercise in public. That's like all your grade school nightmares coming back to life. You couldn't be bothered to wear a mask and now all your friends know you can't do five push-ups. On the other hand, it's a good alternative for people who can't afford a gym membership. Just pull your mask down and the next thing you know, you got a personal trainer. In fact, if they keep this up, people from all over the world are gonna be flying to India just to take advantage of this policy. Oh my God, Deborah, you look amazing. What are you doing? Let's just say I ignored a few rules in India. What? What, what does that even mean? All right, we're gonna take a quick break. But when we come back, Ronnie Chang will look back on the technology that made 2020 so amazing. And Buster Rhymes is still joining us on the show. So stick around. <laughs> Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. 
2020 is almost over. And we can all agree that it has pretty much been a perfect year. I mean, did anything bad happen? No, I can't think of anything. And so for the rest of the month, we'll be remembering all of 2020's best moments. Today, Ronnie Chang takes a look back at the year in technology. has been a year where people have depended on technology more than ever. I mean, I don't know how I would have made it living through the pandemic in 1918. What were you supposed to do back then while quarantining? Read? Ugh, gross. Listen to a gramophone? Music sucked back then. It was all guys with weird voices singing about how their sweetie loves apples or whatever. The biggest tech product this year by a mile was Zoom. And if it took a pandemic to get rid of Skype, then I say worth it. Skype was great if your goal was to not have a meeting. And some people complain that Zoom charges you for longer sessions. But you know what? I say thank God. The only thing getting me through a call with my family is knowing that there's a 45 minute escape hatch. I mean, I pay a premium for even shorter sessions. Is there a five minute plan Zoom? Because if so, shut up and take my money. But 2020 didn't just bring a Zoom. It also brought a Zoom terrorism. Zoom, so many of us are using it to stay in touch. But now, some are having major issues as Zoom meetings are getting hijacked in a new trend called Zoom bombing. Zoom bombings range from pranks to pornography. It even happened during a streaming news conference in which pornography popped up on the screen as health authorities and elected officials discussed the pandemic. At first it just seemed like people were checking in and then uh, very quickly it, it devolved into a lot of pornographic images being dumped as screen screenshots. Yeah, of course Zoom meetings got hit with dick pics. Each new form of technology is just another way to send dick pics. I mean, if you look close enough, you can see the dick Neil Armstrong drew on the moon. One small dick for man, one giant dick we all have to see at night. Inspiring. 2020 also left us with more free time than ever to improve ourselves, like learning a new language or baking our own bread. But thankfully, video games were there to save us from all that crap. Nintendo saw a big boost in sales as more people need to be entertained at home because of the pandemic. Animal Crossing, New Horizons, 26 million copies have been sold of this wildly popular game. Yes, 2020 gave us the video game Animal Crossing, which let us create our own perfect little world while the real world was going to shit. Although we all ended up making the same mistakes in Animal Crossing that we did in real life. You style the game free and happy on an unspoiled island, but then three raccoons convince you to become a land developer. One thing leads to another, and let's just say my residents were not happy when I let BP start fracking on my island. But hey, sorry guys, daddy's gotta get those turnips somehow. Whew. So while technology did a lot of great things for 2020, just like everything else this year, it got politicized. We've got breaking news this morning, the Trump administration announcing it will block downloads of Chinese-owned apps, TikTok and WeChat, starting Sunday. Yeah, President Trump tried to ban TikTok. And you know what? I'm with Trump on this one. It's a horrible app. TikTok is more responsible for convincing white people they can dance than the DJ throwing on Cotton Eye Joe. White people used to be ashamed to dance, and now they all think they're Jabberwockies. But if Trump was smart, he wouldn't ban TikTok, he'd just get on TikTok. It's a perfect showcase for how he dances. Ugh. This makes me want to follow his advice of injecting bleach. 
but into my eyes. But tech companies got the last laugh in 2020 because while Trump was trying to ban TikTok, Twitter and Facebook were trying to ban Trump's bullshit. Facebook has taken action against what it calls harmful misinformation from President Trump. The company deleted a post by the president that included a false statement about children and the virus. And Twitter hit President Donald Trump with a warning label on one of his tweets about vote by mail, saying the post violated the company's rules around elections. I'm glad I finally get around to fact-checking Trump's new lies. But don't expect credit for standing up to the president after five years of this shit. That's like claiming you beat up The Rock when he's 90 years old. That's not winning a fight. It's elder abuse. Okay, I'm just saying, social media companies should have been fact-checking Trump earlier. He spread so much damaging false information over the years, from saying Obama is a secret Muslim born in Kenya to claiming Meryl Streep is overrated. She is the greatest living actress. And I know all about good acting, okay, after my critically acclaimed performance in Crazy Rich Asians. Shut up, Twitter. But many people would say the greatest tech news this year is that we have several vaccines in development that actually seem to work. And of course, we all know the people who need to get a vaccine first are the elderly. Like my grandma, Ronietta Chang. No, that is not me in a wig, okay? I just take after her. Now give her the vaccine, preferably in the right arm because I'm left-handed. But just in case the vaccines don't work out, there's still the option of hitting the eject button on this whole planet. A giant leap for Elon Musk's SpaceX. The company has launched four astronauts into orbit. Elon Musk says he is highly confident he is going to put people on Mars by 2026. The key to achieving this goal is SpaceX's development of its Starship rocket. The vehicle is being built to launch cargo and as many as 100 people at a time to the moon and Mars. Yes, private citizens without astronaut training will be able to travel to space, which means I can finally add the balls. Armstrong's moon dick. Everyone always forgets the balls. So 2020 was a bullshit year, but at least technology made it a little bearable. And hey, we made it through. It's almost 2021. Things can only get better from here. God damn it. Thank you so much for that, Ronnie. All right, when we come back, I'll talk about race with the best-selling author of the book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Huh, that makes sense. And then Buster Rhymes will be joining us on the show. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with acclaimed writer Ijeoma Oluo. We talked about her new book examining white male supremacy in America and so much more. Check it out. Ijeoma Oluo, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Thanks for having me. You wrote a book entitled So You Want to Talk About Race. This was in 2018. It was a hit, people loved it. But I think it is fair to say that 2020 saw a resurgence of not just the book, but the conversations of the book in a really interesting and unique way because of what the country was going through post George Floyd. What do you think it is about America that that book will stay consistent, unfortunately, for a while? You know, I think a lot of it is, is that people are very afraid to have honest conversations about race. Um, It's been such a fraught, you know, subject. And unfortunately, that means that people put it off until they feel like they can't anymore, especially white people. And so what happens then is something happens like the, you know, horrific killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And people realize, oh, we have to talk about this. And my book is, you know, one that talks about how to make that a little easier and people turn to it. And it's sad because 
I want people to talk about this so we can move on to action. And, you know, this is one of the earlier steps is figuring out what's going on and talking about it. And I would hope in 2020 we would be further along, but we're not. That's why I do the work. There's also no denying that your writing has, I mean, made a lot of people feel uncomfortable. A lot of white people, a lot of white men in particular uncomfortable. And that was before your current book, Mediocre, which is about the dangers of white male mediocrity. Talk me through what that means. Absolutely. So this was a book kind of written out of frustration. If you write on issues of race and gender in America, especially since 2016, you see all these think pieces. You know, why is Chad so angry? Why is this white man so upset? And what I wanted people to look at was the political structure behind the time that we're in. I wanted Uh people to understand that this rise in like, you know, hate-filled, racist, violent, white male political ideology is by design. And so I wanted people to look at that because we have to change how we act and what we value as a society if we want to solve this problem. So that's really what we're looking at is a history in America of how we have actually made it beneficial or at least seem beneficial to white men to act like the only definition of success is power over women and people of color and really what it's cost us over multiple generations. When you, when you look at this conversation though, I mean, obviously there's so much resistance. There are a lot of white men who are like, I have nothing. So how dare you say that I have any of this mediocrity or this power that comes with it? How can you say, I don't see any of this power. I live in West Virginia. I have no, no money. I have barely any food. Where is this white power that you are speaking of? How do you try and, and, and if you even do try, explain that to white people in those situations? Because oftentimes I find that will be some of the base that is riled up where they're told you have this privilege and these positions and they go, but, but I don't see it. Absolutely. And I think it's important to recognize, first and foremost, privilege is relative, right? So if you're standing, if you're an average everyday white man standing in a room with Oprah Winfrey, chances are in many areas she has more privilege than you. But if she is standing next to a white millionaire or billionaire, chances are she has less privilege. It's situational depending on where you're at. But I think it's really important to recognize that white supremacy in this country is a pyramid scheme. So it's really the idea you play along and you will have more. You will have more than black people, more than women. Often it doesn't work out that way. And that's part of why we see the anger is that people bought into this system. They're playing along. They've been promised and they voted accordingly. They've spent their money accordingly, that their greatness is coming. And when it doesn't, who do they blame? Often people like me, people like you, because they've been told you're supposed to be better off. And so a lot of that anger that says, I don't have that, I don't have it, ignores the fact that you weren't probably ever going to get it, but you were promised that. And that becomes a political problem and it becomes a part of the violence that often some white men end up supporting. There's no denying, as America becomes more and more diverse, the group of white men that we are talking about are going to become more and more resistant because they're going, oh, I'm losing my grip on, as you said, that promise of my place in America. So how do we get to a place where we invite people into the conversation without pandering, but still invites people in and going like, oh no, hey, this is 
for everybody's benefit. It's not about you losing and me winning. It's about everybody winning as opposed to buying into the permit scheme. You know, it's definitely something I talk about a bit in the book, right? The real harm that this actually does to white men, the system, being told that, you know, your payout's coming and it never does. And the sense of failure that often accompanies white men when they've bought into this. But I think it's also really important to recognize that I personally am not writing to create kinder, gentler white men. I'm writing because I am a black woman being harmed by this system and the way it works. But I do hear from white men who say, you know, you've named a thing I couldn't name. You've named a disappointment, a constant, you know, yearning for more that I couldn't name. But I don't expect that, you know, a white man who's angry and, you know, is completely a political opposite from me is going to pick up my book. But what I do expect is that people who know something's wrong are going to start looking at our values and our systems and changing it. And then the white men who come up in these systems come up differently, right? The way in which the power that this violence has is lessened. And that's really what my goal is. 2020 was one of the hardest years for everybody. For yourself, I feel like it was an extreme version. You had a fire that burned down your home and everything that you owned. Um, You escaped with only the clothes on your back with your partner. The next day, you got a call from your son saying that he had tested positive for for COVID-19. And in the midst of all of this, you're dealing with the death threats that you get and people calling SWAT teams to your house, faking it and saying like, oh, there's somebody with a gun and trying to SWAT you. How do you process all of that? And how do you exist in a state of not being perpetually enraged or terrified, but also still being a human being who writes and I mean, informs so many of us? I had to make peace with the fact that Yes, my work can make me a target in many ways, but being a black woman in this country can make you a target no matter what. And at least I have a platform, at least I can call it out. And I believe that we can change these systems. You know, when you know these systems and you know these systems were built by people, if you believe in people, then you have to believe that we can change them. And I've seen evidence we can, you know, yes, absolutely, it's a huge battle. But I believe in us, and and I believe that Black people are worth fighting for. I believe that people of color are worth fighting for, that women of color are worth fighting for. I love what we create. I love that we're still here. I am a survivor like so many other Black women are, and that gives me strength. I take strength in the fact that I am still here and I can still do this work. And I absolutely believe that we can make real meaningful change to our systems that can improve our lives. Well, I I will say this to you over and over again. I'm eternally grateful. I think everyone is who reads your books because um, they don't come from a place of hate, but rather a place of determination. They come from a place of um, of forcefulness where you go, something needs to happen and you you present the ideas and the solutions. So um, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for writing another amazing book and hopefully we'll have you again on the show. Thank you, it's a real pleasure. Take care. Don't forget, Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America is available now. All right, stick around because when we come back, Buster Rhymes joins us on the show. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with multi-platinum rap star, Buster Rhymes. We talked about his prolific career and why we've waited 11 years for a brand new album. What's going on, Buster Bus? Yeah, what's happening, brother? Oh, man. A dream is what's happening right now for me, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Man, thanks for having me. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure. I'm a huge fan, brother. brother. Are you kidding me, man? The, all of the honor is mine. All of the pleasure is mine. You are one of the greatest rappers of all time. You are, in my world, in my world, the greatest rapper of all time. Um, 
And I'm excited to have you on because we're talking about your brand new album, Extinction Level Event 2. And can I say on a personal level, Buster, I'm, I'm, why did we wait 11 years for a new album? 11 years, I've been waiting. <laughs> um, uh, I think the first most important part of the, the delay was um, not so much the creative, but more so me just making sure that I was comfortable with them, that I was going to put this body of work in the hands of, you know. I'm at a point in my life where, you know, having the, the, the blessed opportunity to be able to experience what many different support systems felt like. Right. Being, being able to put albums out at six different record companies I've been able to learn a lot as far as the difference between when your support system is right and when it's wrong. Yeah, and yeah, I feel it, you. It, it, you know, a lot has changed since the last album that I released at retail um, in 2009. So, you know, just trying to navigate and, 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 and see in like I was putting this body of work in the hands of the right people that were going to be deemed worthy to me and to the standards of what I knew I deserved at this stage of my career and what this project deserved. What's been amazing has been seeing how you've maintained Bussa Bus's flow and, and what makes you such a great rapper, whilst at the same time changing what needs to be changed for the times that we're living in today. Because there's no denying, Extinction Level event, man, there was, there was, there was a bounce and there was a joy to it, you know? Every, 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 every piece of it, you know? You know, we were keeping it coming, keeping it moving, keeping it wild, and we're getting the paper, let's keep the chatter stacking and piling, and now we happy and smiling, because now we living good, you know what I mean? That's what it was, 2009. That's what we were doing, you know? That was 2009. And then 2020 comes along and it's different. It's like, it, it feels like, it really feels like an extinction level event now in a very different way. And you rap about that. You know, you, you rapped about George Floyd. You rap about police brutality. You rap about what's going on. Talk me through how Busta Rhymes went from the joy that we know Busta Bus has, and there's still songs of joy in here, but also talking about the current moment that people are experiencing. I think that it's always important to be informative in the music. I think we have a duty and a responsibility, at least the way I was raised. You know, I was fortunate to get my my grooming firsthand and, you know, my teaching firsthand on how to be a well-rounded artist from the likes of the incredible Chuck D and Public Enemy and those type of guys. Like, you know, when we, we was trying to do it and when we was coming up, you know, being informative in the music was was important. It was valued. It was a significant part of the way artists contributed to the culture and to the art. And, you know, it was something that was done with grace. And it was success that was garnished from being informative through your music. You know, we, we, it was a standard. It wasn't like you couldn't just come out and just put out a bunch of uh, uh, nonsense and think that it was going to help you establish credibility. Like, you might have had a record that was nonsense and it might have been, you know, cool for a moment, but... You know, credibility has always been important to me. And it was also a key component to what validated you as a, 
a, a real artist in the eyes of the, the public, the consumer, and your, your, your other peers as other artists. You know, you've, you've got the legends of hip hop on this album. You, 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 know, you, you know, you've got the Q-tips, you've got the Rakims, but then one, one of the most, in my opinion, prolific tracks is um, Look Over Your Shoulder featuring Kendrick Lamar. And then on top of that, you've got another legend, Michael Jackson, and you, you've sampled, I don't even know how you did it, but you like, you've, you've, you've isolated his lyrics from the Jackson 5, and it's, it's crystal clear. And it's almost like he was there in the studio with me. Walk me through how that song came together. Not which is an incredible producer from Virginia. I was just going through a bunch of music that I had that I never got the opportunity to get to. And then I finally heard this track. Knotts put it together in an amazing way. And it just blew my mind when I heard it. And I took the extra step to get my hand on the actual original two inch 16 track multi of the original recording of the song. Wow. And Kendrick heard it, and when he heard it, in about a couple of days, I got back that monster verse that he put on there, and it was like, I right, we sitting on a different type of gem with this piece. <laughs> and once I heard his verse and I heard the beat and just realized the, the, the way the blend felt with the Michael Jackson sample and Kendrick's verse and the music and my verse, I just was like, this is such a defining moment in this body of work. And interestingly, this record didn't get done until probably like eight or nine years into the recording of the whole project. So it is kind of like a testament to how incredible, you know, patience can be if you understand how to appreciate patience. I kind of learned how to appreciate patience through the experience of working with Dr. Dre on the Big Bang album. And I applied all of that to this album and I'm super grateful because again, like we was talking about earlier why it took so long. I didn't necessarily choose to take this long, but in the process of taking this long, I was able to get all of these magical moments on one body of work. Everyone who's on it, every beat, every moment feels like it was curated. It feels like Busta Bus exploded. Everyone who's waited so many years for Extinction Level Event 2 finally got what they waited for. And as you said, man, the patience paid off. Busta Rhymes, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I appreciate you, man. I salute you. Thank you, King. Keep it going. Keep it growing, my brother. Thank you, my dude. Thank you so much. Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God, is available now. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please don't forget to support your local restaurants. They are struggling to stay open during this pandemic. And if they don't get the help that they need, they might be shut down for good. If you want to help them even more than just buying food, then please consider a donation to the James Beard Foundation's Open for Good campaign, which helps independent restaurants to survive this pandemic. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask. And if you don't wear a mask, you might want to practice your push-ups. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 